We're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. If you're new with us, you're catching us about quarter of the way through the book. We're hoping that it's a, about a year and a half long study. We started it uh, about a year and a half ago. <laughs> no, I don't know when we started this thing. Um, September, October, November, something like that. And we're continuing on. We are just looked at the beginning, part one of Stephen, who's only mentioned in two chapters in the Bible, and my mom found it fit to name me after him. And so I was named after uh, Stephen of the Bible. Like I said last week, my middle name is Paul, so I'm named after two martyrs. Like I said last week, I don't know if my mom has a death wish on my life or, or what, but, but two people who were killed for the faith. And Stephen is going to be the first Christian martyr. The first martyr means witness. The first guy who's going to witness for Christ He's going to stand on the, test, uh, on the seat of testimony, literally, and give witness for Jesus Christ and die for his faith. First one, he's going to, I'm not trying to ruin it here, but that's what's going to happen at the end of today. Stephen is going to die for his faith. What I want you to do this morning is, and one of the things I like, I, I like the Bible because it's full of narrative. In other words, it's full of these stories, true stories, that happen, and you can put yourself there. I love fiction. I love reading books that teach me something about life. And oftentimes if you read a good novel, that's what they're trying to do. The author's not just trying to tell you a story, they're trying to tell you something that lets you be a different kind of person. The Bible has the added benefit of being true, too. And so when you read these, and if you really get there and smell the air and feel the, feel the breeze and put yourself into it, picture yourself actually being there, what it would be like then you start to understand, what is, what is, in this case, Luke, the person who wrote Acts, what's he trying to get across? What's he trying to say to me? So, this morning as we look at this, put yourself right in this scene. You're going to be able, to, if you're sitting there and you're doing it right, and it, it's nothing. If you think it's warm in this room, it's nothing like it would have been in the Middle East when this happened. So, turn, we're going to turn all the fans off, and, uh, no, we're not. Uh, but it's going to be hot. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those family situations. Maybe you have a, at a Thanksgiving dinner or something. You're sitting there and all of a sudden you know there's like some big deal. But nobody wants to mention it. And somebody finally mentions it. And you can hear the clink of all the, 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 the forks hitting the knife. And there's this tension in the air. That's the kind of tension. Your gut's kind of turned that's what's going on right now, what's happening with Stephen. We left Stephen last time, and he was, if you remember Stephen, I just want to re refresh you a little bit about Stephen, in case you weren't here last week. Um, Stephen is a guy who is given the responsibility of helping wait on tables, or there was a ministry of helping all these uh, widows get proper food, and they were sharing uh, possessions in the early church. Al brought that up in the announcement time uh, when he was talking about his trip to India, that, that they were sharing everything, and, and the widows had no means of income, and so they were, were kind of at the mercy of the church. And so Stephen was one of the guys, or seven guys, who were in charge of this ministry. But then it goes on, it lists six, six things about Stephen. He says he's full of faith, he was a risk taker, he's full of the Holy Spirit, He's set apart by the, the apostles for this ministry. He's full of God's grace. He was full of power. God used Stephen as the first person who wasn't an apostle, one of the 11 followers of Jesus, then plus Matthias. They added one to replace Judas. 
Stephen is the first guy who's actually doing, by just praying for people they are getting healed. He's the first one at least recorded that we know of besides the apostles. And then it's, the last thing about him we know is that he's incredibly wise and persuasive. Some people came to argue with Stephen. Some religious rulers of the day, some people they said was from the synagogue of the freedmen, but they came to argue against Stephen and what he was talking about Jesus. And he's doing it right in the temple courts, right in the Jewish temples where all this taking place. And so they come to debate against him and that doesn't work. So they decide something else. So we're going to pick this up in verse 11. Go to that there. Yep. And so they persuade some people to come and to, to basically lie. They say, we've heard Stephen in verse 11 speak words of blasphemy against Moses, against God. And so they, the they is those, these people that he's debating against, these religious rulers who are against. Isn't that crazy? Religious rulers who are against Stephen, against the apostles, against what God was doing. Sometimes religion can be the worst thing uh, and keep you from God. We are going to see that all throughout today. So they stirred up the people and the elders and teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. And this is no small matter. It's like all these people in these cloaks. If you saw the movie The Passion, uh, the, the movie where he gets struck and the, 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 um, he's, there's this kind of this crowd happening, that group in there would have been the Sanhedrin. They were making a decision about Jesus' fate and they're making a decision here about P, uh, uh, Stephen's fate. Verse 13 says... This is the, the meat and potatoes here, verse 13 and 14. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking about against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Okay, it's very important. There it is. There's the charges. Look at verse 13. There's the charge. Right in verse 13. Two things. First thing, Go ahead, the next one there, Ben. It says, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, the temple. Very important. What's Stephen being charged against? He's speaking blasphemous words about the temple. The holy house of God he's speaking against. Secondly, if you look at the second part of that, it says, and against the law. If you look at the end of verse 14 there, it says he wants to change the customs Moses handed down to us. The Ten Commandments, all the regulations, all the things that made Israel a nation of laws, they're saying, Stephen, you're coming in and you want to change everything. So you get those two things. First thing is, let me just paraphrase them here a little bit. Two things Stephen is charged of. One, Stephen is speaking blasphemy against God's holy house, the temple. And the second thing, Stephen is the one who's changing and rejecting Moses, his laws. Got it? That's huge. Those two things. Temple, Moses. Okay. So now we're going to dig in for this week. We're going to actually cover <clears throat> 60 verses. But we're not going to hit them all. But I but, uh, <laughs> hope you packed a lunch. No, no, no. We'll, we'll be fine. Uh, verse 1. The question. The high priest looks at him and says, are these charges true? That's all he asks. Are these charges true? 
And I love Stephen's answer. You can't really, uh, <laughs> can't really just touch on Stephen's answer because it's 52 verses long. Or these two, he never really answers that question. But he, he, he gives his answer. He gives a defense. And in fact, it's not really a defense at all. He actually doesn't really defend himself. What he does defend is Jesus. You find out that Stephen, in fact, is going to lose his life at the end of this. But he defends Jesus. So what's his, what's his defense of Jesus? And there's, it's fourfold. If you want to read this passage sometime on your own, I'm not going to read all of it this morning. But if you read what Stephen does, he has kind of four things that he does. The first thing that he does, the first part to his defense, is what I'm calling laying the foundation. The first uh, 19 verses is laying the foundation. What's at stake here, and what Stephen's trying to prove, is not that he has rejected Moses, not that he has rejected the Old Testament and God, what he's going to try to prove here, and actually he does quite masterfully, and I've read this passage for many, many years, and it wasn't until uh, it was like last year that it, I opened my, I read it again, and I went, oh my goodness. He's completely defending himself on those two charges, but he's doing more than that. He's going to make the dots connect between traditional Judaism and saying Jesus is not the rejection of the Old Testament. He's actually the fulfillment of it. If you want to be a good Jew, follow Jesus. That's what Peter's going to do here. It's masterful. So he's got to kind of connect the dots here. And he's got to lay a foundation for that. So where does he start? He starts with the entire history of Israel. <laughs> and it's amazing that they let him talk that long. Because they're not happy with him. But they let him talk a long time. And, he, and these people are schooled in this stuff. In fact, they had to memorize it. So they know it. But they let him talk anyway. And it's interesting to listen to how Stephen, what he does with this. He does, does go through the history and he gets it all just right on. But he highlights a few things. He's going to highlight some things and that's where your ears should kind of go, oh, what's he doing here? He's going to highlight some things of this history that's going to answer the question, the charges, have you rejected this temple and have you rejected Moses? So we're first going to look at the, uh, first going to look at the, um, the laying of this foundation. To this Verse 2, to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father, to our father, it's important, Abraham, while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. He's saying, I'm not rejecting the same God you're talking about. I'm not rejecting Abraham at all. I'm totally on board with you. And if you just follow along, I'm not going to have the chance to read all this, the first 19 verses here. But he goes from Abraham, then he gets down to verse 8 where it says, well, then Isaac was born and the promised child. And then from there came Jacob. Jacob. From Jacob came 12 different sons. One of the sons was Joseph. And he was sold as a slave. Then it says in the middle of verse 9, I love this phrase, but God was with him. Ah, Dharma and Jess keeps his eye over the sparrow. He even looks over Joseph as he was sold as a slave and all these good things happen. In fact, Joseph's being sold into slavery works out for good if you know the story from Genesis, uh, later part of Genesis. 
And it goes on and talks about how he saves the day. Joseph saves the day because there's a famine and he is able to provide uh, food for that because God was, the reason is because God was with him. Then verse 18 it says, and I might be going ahead of you here. So verse 18 says, uh, 17 says at the end of it, the number of people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph came on the scene. He became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. The beginning of the movie, Ten Commandments. That's where it's happening. All this is happening. He's just laying the foundation saying, listen, I'm totally on board with you guys. And, and they would have been just kind of nodding, saying, uh-huh, we're good. Okay, laid the foundation. First charge he's going to deal with, and he actually deals with them in reverse order from the way he's charged. Remember the first charge was he's against the temple. Second one was he's against Moses. He's going to deal with them in reverse order. First one, do I really reject Moses? Am I rejecting Moses? Let's talk about that. Let's understand Moses here. So he's going to give him a history of Moses, starting in verse 20. I want, to, I want to read this. It says, At that time Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue him. But they did not. Huh? The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now, who is it that sent the deliverer, the guy who was going to get everybody out of slavery, who is it that Shoved him off in the wilderness. It's right there where it says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me too? Verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to take a look at closely. He heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Now, here it comes. Here's where Stephen is going to take history and show them, hey, this is the way it really was. Verse 35. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. Stephen is quoting Deuteronomy 18.15. 
He's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up here. Who's rejecting Moses? Who rejected Moses here? The, the, the people rejected Moses. For 40 years, Moses goes out, goes in, uh, you know, hangs out and has sons and all things, and God says, get back in the game. I'm sending you back in the game. Sends them back. Then he tells them, there's going to come someone after me who is a prophet. Sanhedrin, who, who's rejecting Moses? I'm the follower of this prophet that Moses is talking about. Who, who's it that's rejecting Jesus? He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the desert, a house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your god, Rephan. The idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, you, get, you got the history a little whacked here. Who is it that rejects Moses? I am rejecting Moses? No, you understand something. Our fathers have rejected Moses from day one. They went out into the desert, forced Moses out into the desert. God puts him back in the game. He says, there's another prophet coming, of which that's a prophecy about Jesus, who I'm, who I'm following. Not only that, but then right on the scene there, your people built this calf. This calf. Didn't you see the big ocean thing split up? Didn't you see the big pillar of fire thing? Didn't you see the lay of the snake, lay of the thing, the staff thing comes the snake? Turn $10 into 100 and burn it and all that kind of stuff? Didn't you see that stuff? And yet they go, I know. Let's build a calf. Who's rejecting Moses here? It's not me. Second accusation that he's going to deal with, actually was the first accusation, is I'm rejecting, I'm rejecting the temple. I'm rejecting the temple. Do I really reject the temple? Verse 44, our forefathers had the tabernacle. The tabernacle was kind of like a temporary temple. It was a big tent where they, they met and God met with, uh, with, with the leaders, uh, Joshua and others, in this tabernacle of te the testimony, they called it. They had that in the desert. And that phrase, in the desert, means when they were wandering in the desert, and then Joshua later. It had become made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained into the land until the time of David, who enjoys God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. So first of all, it wasn't even until, if you go through all of our history, it wasn't even until Solomon that we even have a temple. Okay? Second thing. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? How can you make a house that is smaller 
than the one who's going to live in it. You cannot do that. The temple was set up to be a foreshadowing of what was to come. In the temple, you could meet with God. There was a place called the Holy of Holies. And only once a year did the high priest go in there once a year to sacrifice for the sins of the people. In fact, it was so holy that if the priest had any sin in his life, when he went in there, he was toast. They tied a little bell around his ankle, a little, little rope, so, because no, who else would want to go in there, right? So if the bell stops moving, you figure after about an hour or so, he ain't moving anymore. You kind of give the rope a little tug. If there's no resistance, pull him out, have an election, get a new high priest, whoever gets a short straw or whatever, you're next, go in. You went in the Holy of Holies and you sacrificed, you sacrificed for the sins of the people. On the death of Jesus, one of the things, uh, and you see this in the Passion movie, if you've seen the Passion movie, at, and the death of Jesus, there's just this moment where this big curtain goes right in two. They don't explain it in the movie. That curtain being torn in two shows that it's no longer necessary to go in behind there. Jesus is the curtain. Jesus is the one. He's the one who go. Uh, we can go through Christ. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You can go right to God and ask for forgiveness. The temple became an obsolete thing. It was foreshadowing what was to come. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the way that sins were forgiven. This may be a little hard for you to understand, but just hang with me. When the high priest went in there and slaughtered a lamb, it never forgave sin. Think about that. Why would my sin against a holy God be covered by slashing the throat of a lamb? What? What, is it, what is that, appease God or something? Well, God made the lamb. And the lamb's just this pretty small little thing. No, it's an infinite crime against an infinite being. It requires an infinite sacrifice. Lambs are cute, but they're not infinite. It required an infinite. It was nothing more than a foreshadowing that Christ was going to come and die. And often the phrase in the Bible for Christ is he's the lamb. He is the lamb. So he says, uh, Stephen's saying, I, I'm not rejecting the temple. I love the temple. But it's, it's not needed anymore. We can go straight to God. Christ provided the way. So he answers the questions. Did you reject Moses? I haven't rejected Moses. Did you reject the temple? I love the temple. But the temple really is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, your life is on the line. Remember I said you've got to be there. Feel like you're there. Your life is on the line. You've answered the charges. But Stephen doesn't stop. Remember, Stephen was a man, he's described as a graceful man, so he's a kind person. What he's about to say is not very kind. He's already answered the charges. Look what he says next, verse 51. How does, what does Stephen do? He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. That means, uh, uh, you know, circumcision was a rite that the men went through to prove that they were that their family was going to go on, for someone to call someone an uncircumcised heart and ear meant you were just a big phony. This wasn't real to you. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, if you're looking to get off, that might not be the best thing to say. <laughs> but that wasn't Stephen's motive. Stephen's motive was to say the truth. He did the old switcheroo. He said, let's talk about who's rejecting Moses. Let's talk about who's rejecting the temple. The 70 of you in here, you're the one who are rejecting Moses. You're the one who are rejecting the temple. What happened? Verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at them. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what gnashing of teeth is. It must be a cultural thing that we don't have anymore. But it's, they were livid. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he just looks up and that's what he sees. He's totally at peace. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, these are words of truth. These are not words at this moment to get him off. He knows he's done. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. All these people, 70 people, rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, you think of stones, think of chunks of like concrete, not, not little tiny rocks. I'm talking chunks. This hurt. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to meet Saul next week. While they were stoning, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Try to, if you can, in mind's eye, picture that scene. Here's this guy who is just, he's probably a mild-mannered, someone who's described as graceful, was mild-mannered and kind, and yet he was God's chosen instrument to tell the religious rulers of that day, you're not following God at all. You're so interested in your little religion that you've missed, you've missed God Almighty in the flesh. You totally missed him. And while they're killing him, while they're killing him, he says, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them of their sin. I got a question in closing for you this morning. How's your neck? Yesterday when I was putting on my tie, I had my collar up like this, and it's a dress shirt, so it's sticking up. And Jonathan said, you got a it looks like you've got a stiff neck there, Dad. I'm thinking, ooh, that's not good according to this passage. You stiff-necked <laughs> people. But how's your neck? God has huge patience with Israel. It is amazing the patience he has. But there comes a time where he says, enough. Enough. Remember as a kid, uh, I was one of those guys who I had a lot of fears as a kid growing up. And I remember one, one of my fears was uh, rain. And I just had a fear of, of thunder and rain and the whole thing. And 
And I, I remember my dad having to get, get on me about that. Another one of my fears was just being lost. My dad and I were once were putting a boat uh, down a boat landing. And it was this, <laughs> it was the middle of nowhere up in northern Minnesota where, where we live. And we were putting this boat in. And I remember we were backing up. And my dad didn't see it. But all of a sudden the back end just went boom. And it just dropped. And it was like we just went into this hole that was probably three feet deep. It was just complete, you know, we were done. And so I, being the calm, cool, collected one, freak out. I'm probably about 10, 9, 10, something like that. I just start freaking. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're way out here. Who's going to find us? We're going to have to start eating each other and all that kind of thing. <laughs> if you knew my dad, my dad is very much like Stephen. He is a mild-mannered guy. He's a mild-mannered guy. And now being a dad, I can put myself in his shoes a little bit. He's more mild-mannered than I am. Uh, my dad probably has yelled at me in my entire life maybe five times. This was one of them. <laughs> he just looked at me. and I can't remember if the words were, shut up, <laughs> or be quiet, or something. But it wasn't, he wasn't going to console me anymore. He said, stop. We're going to be all right. But you can tell, you know, now having been a dad, when the kids are freaking out about something, you, when you say those words, you're kind of lying because you're thinking, I have no idea how we're going to get out of here. <laughs> but there comes that time when you just say, stop it. Stop it. I got a golden retriever who is totally afraid of thunderstorms. Last night I had golden retriever sandwich right up by me. <laughs> and he's just shaking. Carol and I, he's in the bed with us. It's a big dog, you know, and shaking. And finally, there's a couple loud claps right by, right by our house. I mean, kaboom, kaboom. And the dog jumps off the bed and just starts barking at us. Make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> and Carol just says, stop it. <laughs> there comes a time where you just say, stop it. That's what Stephen said. You stiff-necked people, you've rejected it. My question for you and for me is, how's your neck this morning? When God is trying to work in your life, are you going, ah, I'll get you next time, God. I'm on my own here. We well, can see where that took the Israelites. Took them all the way to the point where sitting here, it looks ridiculous that having watched Moses perform all these miracles that they would go, I know I'll build a calf. We laugh at that. But they did that. Folks, we can do that. We can completely get to the point where we just reject God little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. My encouragement with you, for you this morning as you read this thing is wherever you're at and you're little bit by little bit, stop it right now and turn back and say, Lord, I'm going I'm to slay that calf, whatever that thing is. Whatever I'm letting my pride, they, these guys let their pride and their arrogance and their way of life get into, uh, get in between them and God Almighty in the flesh, Jesus and his representative, Stephen. They completely missed it. It was right there before them and they missed it. Don't let that happen. Let's pray.
God, we are such frail people. We are so caught up in so many things going around us that when your spirit comes and knocks on our heart, there's so many times when we just say, I'll get you later. I'm busy right now. Maybe I don't even have things that I'm doing that are quote-unquote sinful, but they're just keeping me from you. And Lord, your word to us this morning is stop it. Right now, right here, answer my call. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm asking you to think, what I'm asking for your heart, I want that now. Lord, I ask for every person in this room that by your spirit you would speak to us. And Lord God, that we wouldn't even leave here without saying yes to you, whatever it is you're asking us to do, whatever, you, whatever thing you're asking us to give up, oh God, have us not be stiff-necked, arrogant, prideful, religious people who put so much hope in our religion and our church affiliation or anything like that that we forget that we are worshiping the one who is awesome and who by grace alone has saved us from our sins. I pray, Lord, that that would just permeate into our hearts Lord, for some of us, for the very first time in our lives, we want to open up our lives to you and, and let you be our sin bearer. We don't want to come to you with sin on us. We don't want to try to follow all the rules so we can make it. We want to allow you to do it in favor of the first time in your life. While you're sitting here, you can just open up your heart to the Lord. Lord, we ask that you do that. The people who, who are at that point in their journey right now and saying, Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior, and be my Lord, and I want to follow you. Lord, that you would meet them right here and right now, even as we sing these last two songs. Come and speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name.